0: Well, as Lynn said, as you can see, Thanksgiving is over. Christmas has begun. So now, those of you who appropriately waited till after Thanksgiving to put your Christmas decorations up, you may now. I realize some of you started early, but that's okay. But you can go full bore on Christmas now. You know, as a pastor, as a preacher, Advent is really a hard season. It's hard because every year I need to write five different Christmas sermons. Okay, the story doesn't change. The story's been the same for about 2,000 years now, and I need to say the same thing five times every year. But um, my staff knows, I told them in the hallway this past week, that I, I count down my retirement years by how many advents I have left to preach. Okay, after this year, I've got 19 to go. You do the math of 19 times 5, how many Christmas sermons that is to go yet. But you know, as reflecting on that this week, I think there's a good reason why this Advent season, working its way towards Christmas, lasts for a full four weeks before Christmas Day arrives. I think there's a profound reason for that. You see, it is is the four weeks of Advent that teach us every year how to hope. Right For four weeks now, we anticipate Christmas. And for four weeks, we hope that exactly the right presents might appear under the tree on Christmas Day, right? And for four weeks, we hope that our kids and our grandkids, even those who live far away, might come together for Christmas this year. And for four weeks, we hope that it will be a white Christmas, or some of us hope it will be a green Christmas, for four weeks, we, we hope maybe that this year will be the year when broken relationships are mended over the holidays. For four weeks, if we dream big, we, we hope for peace on earth, and we hope for love to overcome hatred, and we hope that enemies will become friends, and we hope that dreams might come true this year. Right? Hope, as Lynn told us around the candle, hope is the belief That what you truly desire will happen. Not just the wish, but the belief that this is going to be the year. And in just 28 days, it will be Christmas. And we'll find out if those hopes come true. Think about that. What would it be like over the next 28 days before Christmas if you had no hope? None. What if I told you, kids... Now, whatever you're dreaming of getting for Christmas, what if I told you right now, I promise you you're not going to get it. But I promise you that you won't get any presents, that you'll join the millions of kids around the world who will get zero presents for Christmas. You might as well forget about it. How would the next 28 days make you feel? What if I told you that, that the people you love, your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is that you'd most want there for Christmas, what if I told you they're not coming this year? Not a chance. They can't be there. What if I told you that, that the depth of the brokenness in your relationship is not going to be repaired this Christmas? Whatever brokenness that is, you, you can hope for it, but it's not going to happen. What if I told you right now that your dreams will not come true? When hope dies, life is hard, isn't it? And, and Luke starts his Christmas story by introducing to us two people for whom life was hard, because their hope was dead. Turn with me to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter 1, page 830 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Here we meet two hopeless people. We met them already this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And my guess is, most of us have heard their story before. Maybe you hear it every. Every Christmas season. But we're going to read their story that Luke writes here. And I want you to listen to it with different ears this year. Listen with the ears of hopelessness that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been living with. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start at verse, twi- verse 5 and read through verse 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. This is a story of hope. Right? God brings hope through this miracle child named John. Now, put yourself in Zechariah and Elizabeth's shoes for just a moment. Right? In, in this first paragraph, Luke introduces them to us. And he describes them really in the most glowing way possible. Right? They're a truly godly couple who are getting up there in years, but, but they are so devoted to God. They have been all their lives. He describes them as, as keeping the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They're just awesome people. The kind of people you would want to be your grandpa and your grandma. Only they'll never be a grandpa or grandma. Because they aren't even parents. Parents. They don't have any children of their own. They've been praying all their lives for a child, even more specifically for a son. But Luke tells us that they have none because Elizabeth is barren. Now you have to understand that in that first century culture, not only did the lack of children deprive them of the joy of of being parents, but it also robbed them of their security as they grew older. They would have no one to care for them. That was a child's responsibility in that culture. But also, besides those very practical losses, it was also understood that being barren in that culture, not having any children, was evidence that God was not happy with you. You see, everyone assumed that you must be guilty of some horrible sin, some horrible wrong that you have done, and that God is punishing you by not allowing you to have a child. And that assumption usually brought on some kind of social reproach, some kind of judgment from everybody around you. I mean, think back to the Old Testament stories. There's a continual theme of barrenness in the Old Testament. So you have the story of Sarah, and you have the story of Rebecca, and Rachel, and Hannah, all of whom were childless as well. And read those Old Testament stories, and you'll read about the taunting that they go through, the disdain, and the judgment that he, that's heaped upon them. But the difference between those Old Testament stories and the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that Zechariah and Elizabeth no longer even dared to dream that God would make their prayers a reality. They're too old. So they've gotten used to life the way that it is. They didn't like it, but, but Elizabeth is, is past the age where you can have children, and now they expect to remain childless for the rest of their lives. They expect to carry this sorrow, this emptiness in their hearts to their graves. Their hope was long, long dead. And here, God breaks into their hopelessness and gives them what they hadn't dared to experience for decades. He gives them a glimmer of hope. Right, God begins the story of John's birth by remembering Zechariah. And it's interesting, that's exactly what his name means. Look up Zechariah and you'll see that it means God remembers. And I'm sure the irony wasn't lost on Zechariah all these years. As he's calling out to God to have a child, he's telling people by his name, Yeah, God remembers. And he's thinking, He's not remembering me, He's forgetting me. But on this morning, God remembers. Zechariah, and he chooses Zechariah to offer incense in the most holy place in the temple. You know, having, having lived his life under the shadow of the belief that God was not pleased with him, right, the message that being childless brought, Zechariah probably never dared to dream or imagine that God would choose him for this. But this great honor of entering the most holy place and offering incense by the altar. It was an honor that was determined by lot in those days. So, so the priestly division would be serving in the temple and they cast lots to see who goes into the Holy of Holies and keeps the altar, the candle of incense burning on the altar there. It was usually an honor that, that you got to do once in your lifetime if even then most people didn't even ever get to do it. And here God chooses Zechariah. God honors this old man who's living under a cloud of dishonor. But that's not even the adventure. That's not the half of it. The adventure's just begun for him. As Zechariah is alone in the Holy of Holies, burning the incense experiencing the greatest honor of his life, God gives him a message of even greater honor and even greater surprise. He gives Zachariah something he lost long ago. He gives him hope. This angel appears to him, and once Zachariah's fear is, is subsides, he gives him what he's been praying for all of his life. Zachariah is going to be a father. Elizabeth is going to be a mother. He's going to have a son. And in verse 14, the promise is given that this child will be a joy and a delight to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Can you imagine the feeling? Can you imagine his shock and his surprise? His dream was dead. He had all but given up hope. He had resigned himself to an empty place in his heart. And here that hope is brought back again from the dead. His dream is resuscitated. But even that unexpected gift isn't enough for God. Right? He just keeps on giving to Zachariah. This unexpected child won't just be a joy and delight to his parents... But this child is going to bring joy to the whole nation of Israel. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will bring healing to the people of God, the angel says. He will lead them back to faithfulness again. He will have the power of Elijah in him. And he will pave the way for the Messiah that you've been longing for and praying for. And hardly daring to hope for. All these years. God isn't giving Zachariah and Elizabeth. Just any child. This son of theirs. Is going to be the last. Of the Old Testament prophets. And will be the one who will introduce to them. God's promised Messiah. He will see God's salvation. To God's people. This unexpected child. Of Zachariah and Elizabeth will be the voice preparing them for the unexpected arrival of Jesus the Messiah. What an unexpected honor. What an unexpected gift. So can you really blame Zechariah for doubting? The angel does, obviously. But can you blame him for doubting? I mean, his first response, "How, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I love Zechariah just for that. I'm an old man, but my wife, she's just well along in years. He doesn't even dare call her old. What a good guy, right? Zechariah's first response is to doubt. But he learns a lesson about wisdom here in his doubting. He learns from Gabriel to expect the unexpected from God. Expect the unexpected from God. Zachariah doubts God. He doesn't expect God to work in powerful and miraculous ways. He can't imagine that the impossible would now become possible. So he asks for some kind of assurance, some kind of sign that this promise could be true. And Gabriel gives him exactly what he asked for. Because you didn't believe God's words, you're not going to have any words until this prophecy comes through, until your son is born. So Zechariah walks out to face the crowd who's been waiting for him. Opens his mouth to speak. Nothing comes out. So it's Elizabeth's voice that we hear next. Zechariah finishes his time of service off at the temple, heads home again, and God fills Elizabeth with his grace. He fills her with the life of a child growing within her. Can you imagine their surprise when Elizabeth finally begins to show? Or maybe by now, they've learned not to be surprised anymore by God. Maybe, just maybe, by now, Zachariah and Elizabeth have learned how to hope. How to expect the unexpected from God. Maybe Elizabeth had written these words long before in anticipation And now she's able to say, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. God, in his great grace, gives them the most unexpected gift of hope. God, in his grace, gives the people of Israel the most unexpected gift of hope. And Maybe that's why there's four weeks of Advent. Because we need to keep learning every Advent season how to hope. Right? For thousands of years, the people of Israel waited for their Messiah, their Savior to come. They lived with that hope. The hope that someday their barrenness would be filled. The hope that someday they would be set free. The hope that that someday they would be saved. The hope that someday all the wrongs and injustices being piled on them would be made right. They waited with that hopefulness. And it's that same kind of hope that God now invites you and me to live with on this side of the cross and on this side of the empty tomb. Right? Because Jesus came, and because Jesus was born and lived a perfect life, and because he died and rose again, because of what Jesus did, hope can now come alive in you and me. All the wrongs and injustices that seem so invincible to us will be made right again. That's our hope. Our hope is that our sin and our guilt that seems so weighty and immovable will be washed away. Our hope is that death that seems so unconquerable, that seems like an ending, can become a new beginning for us. Our hope is that daily relationships with each other and with God can can be characterized by grace and forgiveness and compassion and mercy and generosity and all that is good and holy instead of all that's broken and ugly. Because of Jesus, we can have hope. We can expect God to do the unexpected again. So let me ask you that question this morning. Do you dare expect the unexpected from God in your life? Have you learned from Zechariah and Elizabeth's story to expect God to do the unexpected? Is there something that you are expecting from God this Christmas season? Or don't you dare to expect anything anymore? Have you given up hope? Are you expecting that things will pretty much always be the same? That this Christmas will be a lot like last Christmas. It will be the same as the one before. And everyone coming will be exactly the same as this one. That there really isn't any hope for change. That God really doesn't work today like he did back then. Now I doubt that any of us are going to see angels this Christmas. Maybe, but I doubt it. But if we've learned anything from God's clearest messenger to us, if we've learned anything from his son Jesus, I would like to think that we've learned to have some hope, that we've learned to expect the unexpected from God. I mean, think about Jesus. Think about what Jesus brought and what Jesus gave as he walked on this earth to the guilty who expected judgment from him, he gave grace instead. To the lame and the blind, who who as they sat by the side of the road for him to walk by, expected maybe a few coins of charity, he gave healing instead. He made them walk and see again, completely unexpected. To the lepers, who expected some words of comfort from a distance, because nobody dared to touch them, right? He gave them a touch and he gave them healing completely unexpected. To the woman who was caught in adultery who expected him to throw the first stone he gave forgiveness instead. To the disciples who expected a warrior leader to conquer the Romans instead he gave a suffering servant. And to the whole world who expected the tomb to remain sealed, he gave a resurrection instead. Jesus consistently gave the unexpected, and maybe we should start to expect God to give the unexpected in our lives as well. So I don't know what you're expecting this Christmas season. Maybe a Christmas that's a lot like last Christmas. Maybe the best you can do is hope for some cool stuff under the tree this Christmas. That's probably the extent of our expectations and hopes, right? But maybe, just maybe, this year, God is ready to give the unexpected this Christmas. Maybe he wants to move us way beyond this expected stuff to something more meaningful and more lasting and much more important than what's under the Christmas tree. Maybe we should learn from Zechariah and start expecting to receive the same gifts of honor and hope and healing from God that he did. Maybe God wants us to begin to believe in his power and not to doubt. Maybe God wants us to begin to believe in his unexpected gifts so much that that we're willing to step out in faith and let God work in us and let God work through us. Perhaps the story of John's birth is still a voice calling out into our desert places, preparing us For God to work in us in some unexpected way. Could it be that God wants us to dare to hope again? I don't know what unexpected gift God may be asking you to begin to believe in again. But my guess is that many of us here this morning know exactly what hopelessness. And what resignation feels like. We can share it with. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Can't we? Because we've had a dream die. We've had our hope. Fade away to nothing. We've had all of our grand expectations. Shrivel up. What is that for you? What is it that you doubt God would ever do. Like Zachariah, if God told you he's going to do it, you'd say, prove it. (laughs) I can't believe that. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life that you've given up on ever being made right again. And maybe God wants to restore that hope of building that relationship with a parent or a child A sibling or a friend. And he wants you to have the grace to start that restoration process of of forgiveness. Maybe as you look at your marriage, maybe, maybe some of you are, are thinking about saying, enough, I'm I'm done, and there's no hope for your marriage. And God's saying, Yes, there is some hope. Do the hard work of making it work. Or or maybe you simply resign yourself to say, this is as good as my marriage is ever going to get. I'm just going to ride out the last years. And he's saying, you know what? Dream bigger. Do the hard work of making it better. Maybe you've been praying for someone to come to faith, someone you love for so long that you've given up believing that, that they're ever going to believe, that it ever could happen. Could it be that God has already planted the seed of faith in that heart? And it's just waiting for you to keep watering it patiently and faithfully with your love and prayers over the coming weeks, months, maybe even years. Or maybe maybe you've never felt the full grace of God. You've never been one to believe that His love really counts for you. You've never had the peace of knowing that God loves you for who you are. And you come to just expect to live with doubt and fear forever. But maybe this year, God's message of love through His Son, Jesus Christ, will finally and unexpectedly get through to your heart. Maybe you resigned yourself to the fact that you just can't make a difference in this world. In the face of all the suffering and injustice, you're just one person. You've given up. And maybe this Christmas season, you're going to make a difference. God's going to make a difference through you for one person. And that will make all the difference. Maybe you've come to expect loneliness. And God's going to change those expectations in this community of grace. Or maybe... In the face of all these expectations, God will unexpectedly give you himself this year. Unexpectedly give you his grace and give you his peace and give you his power to make it through the sorrows and disappointments of your life. Maybe God's going to give the unexpected gift of himself. Isn't that really what Christmas is all about? As Frederick Buechner writes, he says, what keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child who was born that day may yet be born again even in us. Hmm. Our God is a God Of hope, who gives the unexpected. And for some of us, that means he will bring miraculous change into our lives. For others of us, it means that he will give us the unexpected grace and strength to make it through when we never thought we could make it on our own. And for others of us, still, it means that we live with the hope of eternity always in mind. That time when we will be perfect. And be made whole with him. Advent. Four weeks. It's a time of preparation. Of preparing for the arrival of our Messiah, Jesus, on Christmas Day. But more than that, it's a time for us to learn to hope again. And so here at the very start of Advent, we need to hear again the purpose of John the Baptist's birth. He was the unexpected who came to prepare God's people for the unexpected. So this Christmas, along with Zechariah and Elizabeth, along with their son John, whose name, by the way, means God has been gracious. How fitting for that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, huh? How fitting for the people of Israel. How fitting for us. God has been gracious. This year, along with Zachariah and Elizabeth, do we dare to look for and to expect unexpected gifts from God our Father? Do we dare to let hope come alive again with the birth of our Savior? Would you pray with me? God, you know our, we are a people who have had hope die You know the disappointments of life. You know how the brokenness of this world is able to crush our dreams and our hopes. And so we end up living only expecting the expected. We don't dare go beyond that. We don't dare to believe that the unexpected could become a reality. And yet remind us again that you are a God who does the unexpected. You are a God who kindles hope. You are a God who calls us to trust and to see beyond what this world sees and to dare to dream in you. Father, I don't know exactly what What dreams you brought to people's minds this morning. What hopes that we dared to look at once again. But I ask, Father, that you would do the unexpected in our lives. That you would dare to let us dream about what you could do. And what you are already doing. Make us people who realize that you are gracious and you are power.